logical progression year one lesson five Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta thajul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil Karim. So folks, um so today it's it's good because um uh, not only do we start the text but it's come in early enough. I had a feeling that we could be hanging around on the introduction for like months as opposed to weeks. So actually we kind of rushed it so that it only lasts four weeks. SubhanAllah, without any exaggeration, we could have spent uh, the content of last week's dars, just the content of that and the week before, that could have been very easily spread out over another four extra weeks, definitely. I was only really focusing on Sheikh Uthaymeen's uh, piece I didn't really involve some of the fiqh of Ibn Qudama and some of his statements. I didn't include some of the comments of Sheikh Muhammad Al-Mukhtar Al-Shanqiti, Hafidahullah Ta'ala. And so, you know, we just kind of, uh, uh, because we wanted to start the text, we wanted to get involved. And also there's another important reason why I wanted to get in, is because everyone needed to see actually what the class really is. At this moment in time, I'm telling you, you have not no idea what the class actually is. So far, it's been a lecture. Now, four lectures with a little bit of you know, interplay and a bit of joking here and there. But that's all it's been. It's just been one-way traffic. And the idea of this class uh, is to be a normal class and for you to be normal students. So this is interesting. Uh, have you guys ever give, have you heard my, um, my theory on teaching style? Hanafi versus Maliki. Oh, sorry. Uh, Abu Hanifa versus Malik. Ever heard that? So I've got this, I've got this idea. actually one of my, uh, my shaykh, he told me this, and I believe him, because I've seen it in my life. So uh, I think that when it comes to teaching, obviously there was teachers before the, the Muslim teachers, I mean, teaching has been going on for years, but from an Islamic point of view, you can take teaching styles back to two imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi alayhi, and Imam Malik ibn Anas, rahmatullahi alayhi. So I call it the Malik style and the Abu Hanifa style. Now, the Abu Hanifa style, let's do the Malik style first. Malik style is best, I can best describe it as very strict, very to the point, no flapping about, no one puts their hands up, no comments are entertained, no chatting, no nothing. You are spoken to, you're not given text, you're not given help, you're not given, you're just narrated to bang, 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 bang. This is the issue, da, 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 and that's it. If you're lucky, there will be a defined, very controlled Q&A at the end via senior students, the senior imams themselves who are vetting the questions and regulating the discussion. It's very strict. Now, um, you will all have teachers like that. Even in your secular studies, I'm sure you'll come across those that don't like to be interrupted. Hands mean nothing to them and so on. And I certainly have had my fair share. The, most, the one that impacts upon me most is back in the 90s when I started studying with um, uh, Sheikh uh, Abdullah Judah, who's a, a scholar in Hadith, and he's local to here. And Subhanallah, back from then in the nineties until maybe I don't know a few years back, which was the last time I took a class with him, exactly the same. Hasn't changed one little bit, and that's his system. He is very, he doesn't like it, and he'll even tell you. He'll say, you know, be quiet, and at the end, no flapping about. Doesn't like his con- his flow to be broken. So that's like one style. There's the other style is Abu Hanifa style. Now it's very interesting. Actually, the style of Abu Hanifa is clear because of just the names of his students. 
They're not even called students. Isn't that interesting? So he's not known by his students. They're called his, anyone? Ashab, right? His companions. So when you look at Imam Muhammad, when you look at Qadi Abu Yusuf, when you look at Imam Zufar, you see these three key, key imams, mujtahideen, they are of the highest, highest possible quality of scholar, those that are quite worthy of giving ishtihad and having their own madhab. Indeed, it can be argued that, that they have their own madhahib, and if you study their books of uh, and their ahkam and their fatawa, you will actually see how they differ with their sheikh, with their teacher. But they're still not called his students, although blatantly, of course, they are. But they're called his companions because the way Abu Hanifa used to teach was right, guys. Here's the issue today. What are you saying? What do you say? And so my man speaks up, puts his idea forward. He goes, yeah, sounds good. What about this? We thought about that. The other one goes, okay, what about this? Chat, chat, refute, chat, talk, talk, back, back, forth, talk. And it's a much more involved process of learning. The others get involved. Obviously, it's being conducted at a certain high level, but it's much more interactive. Okay? Now, I think it's pretty clear. I love that approach. It's how I studied, it's how I learned my religion, all right? And my main teacher of all these years, Sheikh Ihlan, that is his system. That is the way that he taught me. And I back starting in the 90s until now, whenever we see, it's what do you think? Have your goal and, and then you make your statement and then back and forth. Because Sheikh is more interested in developing people. He's more interested in developing people and creating yani, uh, future leaders and people. And, and the most biggest thing, the biggest reason... Wallah, he's obsessed with one thing, Sheikh Kehlan. He wants people to think for themselves. That's the one thing that he taught me. And that's the reason we're studying this text, and that's the reason we're studying this kind of commentary, and not a commentary. Because I told you before in the introduction that Zayd al-Mustaqni' has a much more authoritative and much more uh, humbly and authentic uh, commentaries. Rod al as we said, okay, is is the top one. Um, but the reason we're not using that is because what Sheikh Uthameen does, and this is why our Sheikh always used to like Sheikh Uthameen and I like Sheikh Uthameen so much, is that he does the same. He also wants you to think. He doesn't care whether you take his opinion or not, but he wants you to think for yourself. He wants you to bring fiqh to life. And of course, there is an associated side effect because once you bring what you study to life, you start to bring the religion to life in yourself. And so the, the religion itself doesn't become this kind of difficult, stressful experience. And so some of the most boring topics can become quite interesting and quite exciting. And it allows you to express yourself as long as you know your boundaries. You have to know your boundaries and your limits. Because as we mentioned in the first two lessons, there is a danger to this approach. You can start going crazy. You can start going ahead of yourself and thinking that you're something special when you're not. You think you're authorized to discuss and, and criticize people when you're not. So it is a skill. And what will be interesting is how we show the requisite adab to the scholars when we discuss their opinions. We're not worthy of being yani, the dirt underneath their shoes. Well, we're going to say, Abu Hanifa said this, but we prefer the statement of Malik. Who am I to say that I prefer something over Abu Hanifa? Abu Hanifa is a mountain. He's the, he's the, he's the Mount Everest of fiqh. There's nothing above Abu Hanifa in fiqh. So how can I say that? I can say that not because I'm bigger. I can say that because I have Imam Malik, and Imam Shafi'i, and Imam Ahmed, who have differed with him and given their evidences. It's not me. It's not Sheikh Uthameen. It's not Ibn Taymiyyah. It's not individuals. The issue is about the evidences. The issue is about reflection. As long as we keep within the boundaries. So we're going to um, uh, definitely adopt this system 
And in fact, anyone who's taken any class with me, as you know, in the, the Al-Maghrib classes, and we used to study here as well before, you will know that's my, my way. I like to uh, keep it open, break it, and so on. And so now, you don't feel uh, uncomfortable interrupting. Interrupting with the hand, that's fine. But you have a question, you didn't hear something, this is what it's about now. Now the flow is broken. What you saw in the first four was just, you know, just quality lecture, bang, 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 everyone's just listening. Now it's a class. Now you're in the text. We're going to say, right, guys, where's that page? We're going to look in this book, right? Who's got a dictionary? Check this up. Who's got internet connection? Check this definition. What's the word? We're now going to mix it up. And you have to get used to it because this is how the class will now slow down. Is that, is that cool, folks? Yeah? So this is how it's going to be. So let's start. Yeah? Let's start. You have the new set of notes, which a um, little bit different from the first part. Okay? So this is the, this is the notes I'm talking about. Um, Shazad will put the notes on the screen. The first line for you, for those who are online. And for you guys, you should all have received this on the forum uh, or on email. And as I said, it's going to start moving to the forum permanently now. And I've called this second set, class notes two, I've called it the book of purification. Even though, my brothers and sisters, the next like four or five sets of notes are all still the book of purification. Because it's the overarching chapter, the big chapter. The next ones are going to be by subsection, by subsection. Now, this is a little bit different from the first one in that I didn't mess about with the first one. I just left it exactly as the American translator had translated it. This one I edited quite heavily. So this is now no longer his translation per se. I've changed quite a bit. Um, and that's just a point of reference for you in case you have access to the original. You see it's quite different. And I'll explain why. So let's, uh, let's jump into that. So it starts Kitab al-Tahara, the book of purification. So let's, before we uh, move on to the first line, Sheikh Uthameen, he wants to spend some time and explain to you what is the system of fiqh when you open up something in this way by using the word book. Why do you uh, use the word kitab? So on page 25, he says, he says, So those who study Arabic, now remember, everyone's on different levels here in this class. Yeah. So those who have absolutely no idea, and you're just kind of like, you know, hanging on and just here for the ride and just keep hanging on, inshallah. And we'll try and keep, you know, uh, reiterating points and making it easy. And those who are uh, studied fiqh before, those who are starting to study Arabic a little bit of, you know, has a hua, blah, blah, pulled out of class after three weeks, that kind of person, yeah. Then you've got those who are advanced and then you've got those who are, you know, uh, scholars of tulab al-ilm in your own right. Now, when we say fi'al bima'na maf'ul, what he's talking about is the wazan. I have absolutely. I, I, I can't stand Arabic myself, so I've got no idea what even. I don't even know how to translate wazan. What do they translate wazan in Arabic studies as? The weight, of course, it's weight. The pack, but I mean, yeah. And what's the in, in grammar? What is it? Form. Form. They say form. Oh, good. So you know, um, uh, Arabic verbs. They take different differing forms. Okay, and you have a number of forms. The the, the uh, straightforward eight forms, but then there are added extra ones as well as part of the kind of the rare peculiarities of the Arabic language. So, fa'ala, 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 af'ala, tafa'ala. This is kind of thing if you're studying Arabic. So, uh, uh, these are the verbal forms, but also the nouns themselves take forms as well. And so, one verb, one way is fi'al. Fi'al is the form. And so, if you replace fa'ala, which is fi'al, with kataba, it becomes Kitab. Yes, you understand that at the very basic level? It's like a pattern. So you get the, the, the template, the template is fi'al, 
And once you've got that template, you can put any verb, Arabic verb on, and you can then make the, uh, the corresponding version. So this word, kitab, comes from kataba, which means, means to write. But put it into the form of fi'al, it turns into kitab. What does fi'al mean? Fi'al means maf'ul. What does maf'ul mean? It means that which the action has been done to. Maf'ul, all right, is a general meaning. Anything which, so you know when we said daraba, all right, daraba means to, to slap, yeah, to beat, right? So if, uh, yani, if I am the, I am the darib, I am the one who hits or beats, and I did daraba, which is the, the uh, action, and the miskin who gets slapped down, he's called the madrub. He's called the madrub because it fits the pattern of fa'ul, or maf'ul, sorry. Yeah, it, it fits the pattern of maf'ul. So this is the way that you understand the pattern. So kataba, the kitab is meaning yani maktub, i.e. that which is written. So whenever you see the word kitab, it is referring to by meaning that which is written about a subject. Okay, when you see the word kitab, it means that which is written about a subject, and therefore that's why he say hada maktubun fit tahara. What tahara? And now we need to define the word tahara. I think same in Urdu, right? Tahara? Taharat, yeah? Yeah, taharat is there in Urdu. So you'll know that. And by linguistically, Sheikh said it is nadafa. Uh, nadafa means cleanliness, okay? Nadafa means cleanliness. When we say something's clean, we say nadif. Sah, nadif? Huh? <laughs> Except that the Paks call him nazif because Paks don't know how to say da and they just turn it into Z. So it's nazif and whatever other version you have. So, what does tahara mean in linguistic terms? It means cleanliness. Except that linguistically is not good enough. Remember what we said in the first opening lessons. When you study fiqh, there is a very clear and orderly fashion in how you study fiqh. What you have to do is to understand the word that you're about to look at, and then understand its linguistic meaning, and then give it its technical meaning, its actual technical meaning. That's why Sheikh says, at the beginning of page 25, he says, In the language, linguistically, it means cleanliness. Lakin in the shara, in sharia, yani technically speaking, Islamically speaking, it yani, is used in two places. It has two basic meanings. And the first is the most important. All right? Now, this is fit. This is law. This is not meant to be life-changing, uh, tear-jerking, you know, uh, heart string pulling and make you kind of, you know, scream and cry your eyes out, right? Like we do when Sheikh Abdul Ghaffar recites for us nicely. Although recently, I don't know, the guy's been off his game. I don't know what's happening. But khair, inshallah. I heard he's going to make a comeback tomorrow in Salatul Fajr. Inshallah, Aziz. But, yani, this is fiqh. This is law. This is learning the do's and the don'ts. And the, there are six conditions and there are 32 sunan and da, 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 da. So it can be quite dry and we shouldn't be ashamed about that. All right? That's, that's the way it is. Um, and so don't expect uh, to be hearing lots of kind of uh, spiritual benefits and things. We'll try our very best. We will ring this, we will ring this beast like a, yani, whatever. Whenever we can find any kind of you know, softness or some kind of happiness, we will find it, inshallah. We'll even make it up if we have to, right? That's why we keep chucking in the Liverpool jokes, just to try and yani, create something out of nothing almost, right? Now, here, I want to say to you that when the subject is so jammed, so dry and so on, um, 
Whenever we get an opportunity, we'll use it. And here is us grabbing an opportunity. Tahara, purification. We don't talk about now here about we should purify ourselves for Allah and we should purify ourselves according to the Prophet. Because when books of fiqh are written, they're written for people who it's already assumed that they're doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they're following the sunnah and that they are practicing Muslims. You understand what I'm trying to say? That's already assumed. It can't waste time on that. Still, Sheikh Uthameen, he says, he says the first type of purification is a spiritual purification. It's a spiritual purification. And and for example, he says, well, He goes, and it is the purification of the heart from worshipping other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not just this, it's the purification of the heart from jealousy, from envy, from hate, from, from every kind, from anger, from excessive uh, love of materialism. All of these things which, if they exist in the heart of a person, they can reach such a damaging level that the person loses his Islam and his Iman completely. Therefore, the purification of the body doesn't matter one little bit. Classic example are non-Muslims. Non-Muslims are a classic example. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah At-Tawbah, where he says, okay, Allah says that the, uh, those who take partners other than Allah, those who take partners other than Allah, those who want to uh, direct their love and their worship and their respect, which is deserving only to Allah, and they then direct it to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are seriously unclean, are very unclean, are filthy, are impure. Now, what does this mean? Does it mean that they're like dirty dirty? Yani like they're filthy, unpure. When you touch them, then you're going to get the, you know, what did he used to call it in the school playground when we used to touch them? Pure touch. Cheese touch. Yeah, times have changed, man. I think we used to call it crabs or something, isn't it? What do we used to call it? Scoobies. Boogies. Cooies. Cooies. Lurgies. Something like that. Yeah, you know, some kind of, some kind of diss phrase, Yanni, that you touch it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's what we used to say back in the day, right? Now, does that mean that's the case? There's no way that any gora is dirtier than a park. Absolutely no way. I'm telling you now, gore, they're the ones... When you go into a house, ever, I don't know, you guys obviously all packs living in your ghettos, yeah? But when we, when we were young, we used to live with the gore within their areas. We used to go into their house. The first thing we used to see is how nice it smells. No silent smell. No... <laughs> No stink, no whatever, carpets all fresh, whatever. And they don't even take the shoes off, subhanAllah. How amazing is that, right? And they're still, the house is so clean. They are washing, every, shower every morning, shower every afternoon. Us what we used to shower once a week, yeah? yeah? Right? That was system. Jum'ah was the day we get rid of above. That's what they do in Somalia every day, you know? Shekhna, is that not the Somali way? So, so, I mean, you know, and I remember when I used to travel and I come across uh, cultures uh, without any exaggeration, despite we, us being the people of water and all the rest of it, yeah? Ablution and wudu, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we, you know, we stink more than the average kind of, you know, person. Hakikatan, <laughs> yani. I can, you know, as a person who prays with the Muslims, I can easily say that I've smelled more bad smelling Muslims than I've got it. Yeah? And they go mad on all their, you know, 
shower gels and this and that, whatever. Well, when, did we, you know, when did we ever see a shower gel? We never knew what a shower gel was until a couple of years ago. Yeah? Back, <laughs> we used to be lucky to have like a little bit of soap and rub ourselves with it. Anyway, so it says clearly not referring to them physically. Huh? The mushrikeen are not dirty physically. This is of course referring to their belief, their i'tiqad, yeah? their creed. It's completely filthy. It's as filthy as it gets. It's as dark as it gets. It's as it is. And here's very interesting. The use of the word of color. The word black, right, in Quran. It's very interesting. Because a lot of people who, become, who, who are uh, not very strong in the iman, don't study Quran well, they don't have this understanding about the word white and black. They always kind of think of white and black in a racial sense. Okay? Now, obviously, these are uh, politically correct. This, uh, to be politically correct, you don't even use these words in, 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 in discourse. But in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses black for bad, white for good, black for dirt, white for clean. In the sunnah, it's generally understood. And you need to understand that's complete, something completely removed from the actual uh, skin color or maybe the color of something, an object. Rather, it's talking about lack of light and the awareness of light. White is convenient in that it reflects light and is bright. And black is that convenient color of darkness. And so if a, if a heart is black, and the Prophet Prophet said that the heart would go black, and the white spots are the, the remaining alive parts, he used the color. The, the, color the, the heart, when it gets sealed, what's it getting sealed from? It's getting sealed from the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and guidance. So when something is sealed with a ran, as Allah mentions in the Quran, there's so many different coverings and seals, then there's no light going in. And so therefore, inside is very, very dark, and it's black. And of course, uh, uh, Luqman, he said about shirk, what did he say? That it is a zulmun azim. It is a huge, huge zulm. And zulm means oppression. And of course, the word for zulm is also meaning darkness. Alright? When we say in the zulma, meaning that in the darkness. Zulm is dark. Oppression is dark. You know? Right? And guidance and happiness is light. And the Prophet ﷺ and his way is light. And it's very interesting to understand these, you know, to divorce black and white from their racial uh, undertone and to understand it from a point of view of guidance and lack of guidance, oppression and justice and so on and so forth. So that's important. So, so Tahara uh, uh, is uh, in, uh, as an asad, in principle, it's a spiritual condition. And therefore, it's very important for you to understand that you're here now studying this and it's great. Right? But if you are not concentrating on the Amrad Qalbiyah, the diseases of the heart and purifying your heart from that on a daily basis, all the time, and that is done like all the time. You're seeing different things, you're seeing some of the miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will say subhanallah, you will say astaghfirullah, these are, these are adhkar, and this dhikr cleans the heart. And that's how it's very, very important that you focus on that as your number one thing. That's the asal, the shaykh says. Here's an important discussion. This is usuli terms, scholarly terms for the principles behind fiqh. Asal, fara, usul, furur. The asal is the, the trunk, yeah? The root, the trunk, the main, the asal, the base. That's what the asal is. And, and what we call in legal terms the primary, right? And then the secondary is then the fara or the furur, which is the branches. If you imagine it like a tree, it's nice and easy. So the original key issue is the root and the trunk. And then the secondary matters are then what branch off. And so obviously, in terms of importance, the branches and the twigs and the leaves are never as important as the original 
trunk. Yeah, so that's why you have the asal and the uh, fara. So what is it actually? Uh, the what is the what is purification in day-to-day terms? It is the actual purification that we all understand, cleanliness. Okay, and in fact, in fact, I tell you what, uh, Sheikh. Um, uh, um, uh, Muhammad Al Mukhtar Al Shanqiti. He says. He said. He says it is the cleanliness and the removal of anything dirty from oneself or one place. That is purification. Okay. That is purification. And I want you just to touch upon something here. We said cleanliness, right, at the beginning. Cleanliness is not the same as purification. We mustn't be. When we're studying fiqh, we can't be lazy. Now I'm just aware to that. But if you hear me be lazy in words, you should say straight away, hold on, are you sure? Because you can't be lazy when you're teaching fiqh. You've got to be on it all the time. Normally every day of the week we'd say cleanliness and purification are the same thing. What's the difference? But something which is clean is not necessarily pure. Does that make sense? Yeah? They, they, they can't, they, that doesn't have to be... Who can think of a good example? Because I can't. An immediate example? Yeah? Something like tea. Tea. Okay, is there anything easier? Dust. Dust. Uh, 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 see, dust is, a, dust is the perfect example, but it's too good an example because it's an example which you would not have worked out by yourself. <laughs> no, 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 I don't mean you personally. I'm meaning you as a human, right? This is, uh, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, Ali is saying that dust, yeah? Dust is... is, is uh, not clean, according to the cultural understanding of what clean means, but it's, it purifies, and it's pure. Now, if Allah had never told you that, would you ever have thought that? Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah? It's not something, it's not something, it's not, yani shaykh hissi, as we say. It's not something that you can assume. So that's the perfect example, but that's not something I want. Any, yeah? I like soap. Soap? That's a very good example. That's a very good technical example. Certain soaps are actual, yani, completely uh, uh, unsavory and non-pure chemicals. But when it comes to cleaning, it will clean something like to the max. Yeah, it will clean something so much that it will start to take away like layers and layers and layers and layers. It will overclean. So that's the that's good. That's that's the way that we, we want to think about it. So that's fine. Then the sheikhs, now we know what Kitab Dahara means. Now, oh, I forgot, I've got to give an apology, subhanAllah, to Shazad. Shazadi, he, he said to me, I, I have to apologize publicly because I did his vesti publicly. I said last week that he had gone to the next sale in Manchester, he didn't have enough sales for him, so he went to the one in London, isn't it? Yeah? <laughs> right? Actually, Shazada, he didn't go to the next sale. He went to Slough to buy dresses and things like that. I think they're cheaper over there in Slough. He didn't go to the next sale, so I just wanted to say that. Which is also a reminder, you can bring up the, um, the thing, because I'm going to forget, so I'm going to say this right now. Um, I wanted to say that um, so far, um, obviously, there's been a, a ups and downs in, in the technical aspects of this class. Obviously, you guys have seen no problems, but online, there's so many people logging on at the same time that we had for the last few weeks this whole kind of uh, you know uh, nonsense at the beginning people weren't signing in and couldn't sign in and so on so I just wanted to say that um, there has been a struggle and um, we do need some uh, help uh, definitely now um, help nowadays is either very high quality volunteers or you've got to pay good money for it so from a money point of view you know I put up the 
donations uh, box and I and I was one who wrote that text in that donations box and I did say to you that it's a big ugly box that's taking yani, a third of the entire page and I'm going to get rid of it after a couple of weeks and it's a good opportunity for you because I think it's a good project to support with donations. I want to say that Jazakumullah khair everyone, some incredibly generous people gave good money and, and, and donations and, and because of those donations we've been able to move forward and hire some pretty expensive people to go and fix this issue that we've had. The donations box is coming down because I'm, I'm glad that we got that covered and that there is no now big cost I need to worry about. Um, but what, the cost that I do have to worry about are some ongoing costs. And so if there are any people out there online or here that are willing to support us from a standing order point of view, then I would be very grateful for that. The brothers would be grateful for that. And the email is donations at propheticguidance.co.uk. It's on your screen at the moment and it'll be on the video as well when you see it again. Just email and say, yep, I can do a quid a month. I can do five a month. I can do whatever. You know, just a few people. We just need to get a critical number which that can continue and pay for some of the services. But the real focus that I need is the... Uh, experts, some specialists in certain areas. Now, these experts and specialists um, are required to basically save us money in the uh, areas that we're trying to, we're, we're struggling in. Um, for example, a graphic designer, a motion graphic designer, a WordPress developer, a V Bulletin developer, a PHP or MySQL developer, um, a Linux server specialist. These are the various kind of roles that we're really looking for some uh, help from um, if you can volunteer your time. If you can, you know someone or you're willing to. Uh, and we did give a shout out. Not many people kind of really got back to us in fairness um, um, or didn't get back to us in quick time. And I have to say that we do work to a high standard. So uh, um, if you can help, then please admin. info admin.lp admin so email admin.lp at propheticguidance.co.uk again the email addresses are on the thingy so anyway I just wanted to thank everyone who supported us I wanted to thank my team um, because obviously I get a, a lot of credit for this myself um, you know I'm the public face and I'm the one teaching and everyone hears something and I'm the one who gets all the credit and the truth be told it's about the team it really is about it's not a, it's not a I know it's a cliche it's a team game it's a team sport and there's no I in team, as they say, صح? But if you do muddle the words about, there is a me in there somewhere, yani. yeah? And if you muddle it a bit more, there's an A-E in there as well. Come on, Bob's yara. Come on, yeah, you can't script things like that, yara. You tell me that's not quality line. Alright, take it then. Okay, so Jazakumullah khair, everyone. Right, let's jump into the first text. He says then, وَهِيَ اِرْتِفَاعُ الْحَدَثِ so if we look at our notes, then this is the first line. Purification, purification is lifting ritual impurity or matters similar to it and removing filth. Okay, so we have a first part and then a second part. Purification is lifting ritual impurity or matters similar to, similar to it and removing filth. Now, obviously, in this translation, it's not a word-for-word translation. Because if you look at the Arabic, it says, Wahia, and she is. Okay? And she is, is, what would that be referring to? She is, is, it is. And it is, is referring to Tahara. And for the, those who are studying Arabic, when you see the feminine being used here, immediately you should think, right, I need to go back to the last 
feminine word which is being used. And when you go back and you see, there's only two words there, kitab and tahara. Kitab isn't the case. Tahara, easily, immediately recognizable. It's a feminine word. It's got the tamarbuta at the end. And you know straight away that it's a feminine word. So forth. therefore, the hiya is referring to it. So in, purification, so in translation, we're not going to go through. And it is because it's clear. It's referring to purification. And purification has been um, defined as two aspects. Number one, the lifting of ritual impurity. Let's just focus on that for now. Okay? Lifting ritual impurity. What is ritual impurity? The word in Arabic, hadath. Alright? The word in Arabic, hadath. What does uh, Sheikh Uthameen says? I'll tell you what Sheikh Uthameen says. He says something which honestly is a quite a poor... Uh, way of putting it if you compare it to some of the other scholars. So let me tell you what Sheikh Muhammad al-Mukhtar al-Shanqiti said. He said, He said, some of the scholars, they said, It is sifatun hukmiyatun tujibu limawsufiha jawaz istibahat al-salah bihi aw fihi aw lahu. Yani, it is a sifatun. It is a reality or it is a uh, uh, it is a characteristic. Okay. That when it is found in something or in someone, obviously because we're talking about a person here, when it is found in someone, it will, it is, uh, it will allow it, 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 uh, not it will block the permissibility of praying. So prayer is what is being used as the yardstick, i.e., hadath, hadath, ritual impurity. If I'm just going to give it in like my own my own uh, definition, it's anything which is going to block you praying. Okay, from a purification point of view, it is that ritual impurity that's going to block you praying. Is that clear, everybody? All right. And once we start giving the examples, it will become a lot more clear. Now, let's give what Sheikh Uthaymin says. He get, he goes right at the bottom of page twenty-five. He goes, for example, for, and you know what, you need to know why is it that, I mean, I didn't discuss this, but you should know, why is it that we start talking about purification, right? Because this is law, and in law, we're describing about how to and how not to worship Allah, ibadah, and the very first most action in ibadah is, the first most and most emphasized and best action in ibadah is, salah, okay, salah. Without any doubt. And because salah has to... You can't pray without fulfilling the conditions. We need to know what the conditions are. And so therefore we find out that the conditions form from the conditions is purification. And purification itself is a process. So we need to know how to purify. And so because we need to now define how we purify, the first thing that we know that we is used to purify is water. That is why all the books of fiqh, they focus on opening with water. Discussing it, debating it, making it clear in the minds of everyone what exactly water is. Okay, So, let's just stick to the, what the, the issue of uh, hadith is, ritual impurity. He says, an example, there's a man, he urinates and then he does istinja. Istinja means he cleans, he washes his private parts. Then he makes wudu, thumma tawadda. Now, he says, when he is urinating... He's not able to pray because he's not in a state that he's, it's permissible for him to pray. But when he finishes wudu, then the state of ritual impurity, the hadith, the state 
So remember, hadith is not a physical thing. It's not like, you know, someone has put some dirt on you. It's a state. Yes, that's why they use the word ritual. This is a translated term, by the way, ritual. We put it into... Tra- the reason we don't... We, we, don't I mean, we should just say impurity. Or we should just say blockage to salah. If we said blockage to salah, it wouldn't make sense. If we said impurity, people would think dirt. We add the ritual to kind of make it clear to you that we're talking about something which you can't see. It's just, uh, here I am. I went to the toilet. Now, just think about this. I could go to the toilet. Now, I could clean myself or not clean myself. I could use a number of chemicals in today's time. And I could come out from going to the toilet a hundred times cleaner than it was when I was before going to the toilet. But that still hasn't lifted my state of uncleanliness. Do you understand? So this is not to do... You know, some people, uh, and this is interesting, they might like uh, uh, have gone to the toilet and they're now about to make wudu. And they're making wudu and they don't use soap. And people might say to the man, what kind of wash are you doing? How are you cleaning yourself? And this is because the person didn't understand that wudu is not there to clean you. Wudu is not a cleansing process. You know, a lot of people... A lot of, uh, like, a, like a physically cleansing process. A lot of people, they go around and, uh, you know, they joke at uh, non-Muslims. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, they say that they're dirty, they don't wash their hands. We wash our hands and our, our, our faces five times a day and all this kind of stuff. That means nothing. That means absolutely nothing. Washing with what? With water. Bit, you know, bit, bit of water on, that's it. Yeah, and a person, he can come and he washes his hands in alcohol. He's 20 times more clean than you are. Yeah? When you go into hospital, they haven't got soap and water. They say, wash it. They've got this alcohol spray because that's going to de- uh, uh, disinfect and sterilize your hands a lot more than water. So, you know, wudu, it's not about, it's not about making yourself, you know, Febreze fresh. Yeah? Right? It's not about making yourself smell beautiful and super clean. And that's why a lot of people don't understand the concept of when people go in and they make wudu very quickly and they're not soaked. Because there's an idea that when this guy goes in and he comes out, you know when, when we're young, <laughs> when we're young, right? Our, obviously, when you're young, the last thing, and I know, I know these two kids do it as well, right? It's, fun, it's something you do when you're a kid, right? Your mom and dad say, go and make wudu for salah. You're thinking, ras, yeah, and wudu. Having a laugh on, yeah? Just doing salah is hard enough mission, yani, without telling me how to make wudu as well. So what you do, you go into the bathroom, you wash your hands a bit, do a little bit of black, yani, and then you come out, right? Yeah, yeah or, or most of the time, most of the, most of the time, just pure praying without wudu. It's a black, isn't it? Well, there's a mission, man, right? Now, it doesn't matter what you would do, from a parent's point of view, because of our culture, if they don't see you come out completely soaking, yeah, right? You ain't done wudu at all. Yeah, for them, wudu is like cleansing, cleaning, drowning, basically, right? <laughs> and, you know, this is something which the, the culture then pro, you know, promotes, and you've got this idea. Actually, wudu has nothing to do with that. Wudu is the process. And that's why the people, and the sunnah, we'll obviously come to it in probably about a year's time when we come to the section of wudu, yeah? Um, when, we di- when we do it and demonstrate it, you're going to see why it's an act of ibadah and how you will spiritually feel your wudu. Because the focus will now, now that you've understood what I've just told you, it's not about the water, it's not about the soap, it's not about the amount, it's about the process. 
It's about the process. So when you get a little bit of water and you're there rubbing your hand and you are watching your hand and you're saying, you know, I have to cover this, I have to cover that and I'm doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is a hadith and the Prophet ﷺ said that the uh, certain members of my, of my companions will be seen because their uh, extra parts of their body will be shining white because of their focus. You're focused on that as opposed to dunk full of water. You know, like some people just put their hands underneath the sink like that. Yeah? It's like a, there's a, two whole different parallel universes with respect to the approach to wudu. So it's important to understand that as a, as, a, as a concept. We're lifting a state of ritual impurity, meaning that it's like suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm completely clean, I've come out of the bathroom, just come out of the shower, and someone says to me, sorry mate, you're not clean for salah. I'm as clean as it possibly can be, but I'm not clean for salah because I didn't have an intention. I didn't do it the right way. So that's why we add the word ritual to focus on the spiritual aspect and the worship aspect. Is that, is that clear, everybody? Yeah? Right, so he then, he then, so he says, so then a person then is able to pray because he has removed the blocking of him praying. He removed it. That is the hadith. So hadith is ritual impurity. What are the things which call ritual impurity, folks? Let's have some, um, some examples. Should we put it out there? Going to the toilet, both types, yes? So, urine, yeah, urinating, defecating, yes? Okay, what else? Passing of wind, passing of excessive amounts of blood. And by the way, obviously, we're going to come and discuss this in detail later, all right? We're just, that's just uh, discussing it at a base level. Madi, uh, prostatic fluid, okay? This is, according to some scholars, eating camel meat, okay? So these are the things which are, are breaking the state of, or creating a state of what? Creating a state of hadith. Right, so now, now so that we understand this uh, point of... Um, let me just give you... Uh, I was reading what Sheikh... Uh, uh, what Sheikh Ashamqiti um, said, and he said something really nice. And let me just uh, find it here. He said... Because he actually, he if I'm going to be fair, he dis, he divided the a chapter of hadith into a much better way than what Sheikh Uthaymin uh, did. If I'm going to be uh, if I'm going to be honest, but you know what it is, I can't find it now. But anyway, understand this: there's two types of ritual impurity, small and big. Okay, small ritual impurity is what you've all just mentioned: urination, defecation, passing of prostatic fluid, the uh, passing of blood. Etc. Etc. Not just yet. Uh, no, and I'll explain that. I'll explain why going to sleep is not a minor hadith. Okay, so that's minor hadith. The major hadith, menstruation. Yes, the period after uh, you give birth, which is called nifas, marital relations. So this is the major. Minor hadith obligates what? Wudu. Yes, the minor ablution. Major hadith obligates ghusl, the complete bath. So that's good. All right, you're, you're, you've got the basic understanding of what we're talking about. But then what the uh, uh, and so that's, that's the first part. But then what the author then says, and he then says, uh, and that which is in uh, those matters which are similar to it. Now, similar to what? Similar to what? What do you think he's referring to? What do you think he's referring to? 
When he says similar to it, what, 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 similar to what? Nope. The Sheikh, the Sheikh, he says, if you look at the beginning of page 26, he goes, Ad-Damir, okay, yeah, which is the same thing actually, all right, all right, but it's, it, 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 but if we're going to be accurate, then it's, refer, it's referring to the, the raising, the irtifa, the lifting, the getting rid of the state of ritual impurity. So, the damir, the pronoun, the pronoun, it, in our English translation, it is referring back to the lifting of the state. So what does that even mean? What does that even mean? He goes, وَمَا فِي مَعْنَى اِرْتِفَاعُ الْحَدَثِ Okay, so he gives a good example. He gives a couple of examples. He says, for, for example, washing of the hands when you wake up from the nighttime. Now, a lot of you won't know this, but uh, it is an obligation. It is an obligation and it is known as purification. It is known, it's not wudu, but it's known as purification. To wash one's hands as the first thing you do when you wake up and uh, from your sleep. I don't mean like it's the first thing you just got to jump straight out of bed and wash your hands. But I mean that yani, it is the first thing that has to be done before you do anything of any uh, value. Like any act of ibadah, obviously, or touch something or pick up something. Because those hands, you know, man's yani, in sleep, they do all kinds of behavior, yeah? So, you know, the hands go here and there, and you know, don't know what's happening. So, obviously, it can get a bit dirty, صح? So, you have to uh, wash the hands. Now, I'll give you another example. Think of that example, just keep it in the back of your head, yes? Then he goes, um, and the second, uh, another uh, example. He goes, if a person, he wants to renew his wudu. He wants to renew his wudu. So, what happens here? The renewing of the wudu. This is a sunnah, okay? This is something which is recommended. Yes? Is that lifting hadith? The first example, when we wash the hands once we've woken up, is that lifting hadith? Is it lifting a ritual state of impurity? It's not lifting a ritual state of impurity. When you make your wudu again, is that wudu, is that tahara, that purificatory act, is that lifting a state of hadith? No, it's not. Why is it not? Why is it not? You already did that. Very good. The first obligatory wudu that you did, that already lifted the state of hadith. Yes? So that state has gone. So this time now that you're making this wudu again, you are not lifting the state of hadith. Is that clear? Everyone agree with that? But do we still call it tahara? Yes or no? Yes, we do. So because we still call it tahara, we have to create this second category of action. Do you understand? Because therefore now we understand it's just not irtifal hadith. The lads here said sleeping. When you wake up from sleep. When you wake up from sleep, do you need to make wudu? Yes or no? Do you do, is it hadith al-asghar? Or is it, do you need to do the purification, the small purification or the big purification? Small purification. Just wudu, yeah? You have to just make wudu. Is that, you're happy with that? Why? Why? Because you slept on a dirty pillow. <laughs> what a best yoga. <laughs> Just Yanni, rinse our dirt linen in the public, why not? <laughs> boom, boom. You can't script that. You can't script that, Bobs. Dirty linen, pillow. I was in there like a flash. <laughs> Mom's gonna kill the guy with you. Dirty linen, your pillow gets changed every day. <laughs> Who was it who had the hand up? Yeah. 
But what about if you're going off while you're sitting down? I don't know. That's it. We're gonna. We've got so much fun on the whole nodding off, sitting down, flex. You're gonna love my opinions on that. Believe me. Yeah, but that's miles away. That's miles away. If um, if you're making the act of wuzu for purification and you're pure and you do wuzu again, is it strictly wuzu? Yes, this is, the, this is the exact question that we want to discuss, right? If you got wudu and like you made your morning wudu, the sunnah as the companions used to do all the time is to make wudu for every salah. This is a, a mustahab action, a beloved action. So they would make wudu again for salah, but for dhuhr for example, but they're already in a state of wudu, yeah? Is it now the second one called wudu? Of course it is, but it's called a, 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 a wudu, a nafila. Yeah, it's called yani, a muzayada. It is an extra one. Zaidan or muzayada is zaidan. It's, it's an additional one. That's what it's called. It's still called wudu. It's still called purification. Sleep does not create hadath. Okay? Nothing happens. The reason that we make wudu after you wake up from sleep is because the sleep is madhindatul hadath. It is the place where hadath could occur. You understand what I'm trying to say? So we make wudu not because it is a state of hadith. We make wudu after going to sleep not because it's a state of hadith. So, so far you've seen now two separate categories. Urination, going to the toilet, uh, 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 emitting prostatic fluid, madhi, um, XYZ. These are clear physical things that happen and they obligate wudu. But then you've got this second category of action which something happens but nothing comes out, nothing kind of in that way happens, but you still have to do wudu, right? So one was my intentional act to make wudu again, yes? Two was me waking up from sleep, nothing happened, but because it could possibly have happened, and it is more likely that things have happened, then I'm going to make wudu. Another example is, according to a number of scholars, and there are hadith that support this, but we'll come to that in this right time, when you wash a dead body, okay? The ghusl al-mayyit. When you wash a dead body, there are a number of scholars that obligate, not just wudu, some even said ghusl. Okay? Number of scholars. Now, did washing the body and touching the dead body create a state of ritual impurity? No. They did, none of them said that the wudu and the ghusl is because of uh, states of impurity. They said it is a hukam, meaning it's a direct order. As opposed to, you're doing it because of this. This is important. What I'm talking about here now is to identify the underlying reason, what we call the illa, right? The sharia reason for something. When we are now doing this extra ghusl, I've now just had a bath, done ghusl, I've just prayed, I have to now help out, wash a dead body. I'm absolutely pure and clean. And I keep my hands pure and clean. And in fact, I even use gloves. I even use gloves. Actually, let's take the gloves off because I don't want to make it more complicated. I use my hands. And we wash this dead body and it goes off to be buried. And now our mashayikh said that you have to make wudu or ghusl. Is it because the body was impure? No. As, as the, the uh, Prophet, uh, Prophet said, that the believer is never impure, neither physically or neither spiritually. Okay? Is the body impure? Have I done an impure action? No, no, and no. So what's going on, what's going on, is that it is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to the scholars, He wants me to make wudu. Not because of ritual impurity, like the sleep. Like the sleep. It's not because of ritual impurity. Like the second time that I'm called, that I'm making my wudu. So, what's in common between all these three scenarios? There's no hadith involved, yet all three of them are still called purification. 
Yet they are all still called tahara. Is that clear, everybody? Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah? Are we good with that? Yeah? Or like, good, like eating camel meat. Those who follow the opinion of eating camel meat, they don't say that eating it then makes you ritually impure. They are saying that you have to make wudu for every time you eat camel. The, the reason is in the camel meat. It's not in that you have become impure. Does that make sense? And it's important for us to differentiate the actual reasons. It's important. Okay? So that's what Sheikh basically he says. And he gives another example, which I will just let him, I won't comment on it too much. He goes, also, Sahib Salas al Bawl, i.e., the one who, is urinary, uh, who has urinary incontinence. Now, this is very interesting. Think about it. He says that when you have um, a urinary incontinence, he does wudu so that he can pray. Yes? True? But. Is this wudu lifting his state of ritual impurity? What do you think, folks? No, why not? Because he's still passing urine. Do you understand? It can't be lifting the state of ritual impurity because he's still passing urine. So therefore, this is of that second type, i.e. it is of those matters which are the, the wudu has to be done to, to, to allow him to pray but only to allow him to pray. It hasn't lifted the state of impurity. Is that clear, everybody? Yes. How come before when the sleep we said that there's no physical impurity, but there's a spiritual impurity? Now he's saying there's... Not spiritual impurity. Ritual impurity. Yeah. Oh, you mean had yeah, the same thing? Yeah. And in this case, we're saying that there's a physical impurity, and then we're using that to imply the spiritual impurity, or the ritual one. If, the, if it's not the same way the other way around, why is it going this way? If, you're, you're, if somebody's consistent, he can't control it. So he's continually passing urine. Yep. So why is that causing a spiritual impurity? Okay, good. This is uh, two questions which have the same, same uh, point and good questions as well. What Nasir is saying is that when a person goes to sleep, you're saying he should make wudu even though there's no proof of the physical impurity. Yep, a physical act being done to create the state of hadith. And likewise, the one who is in, uh, uh, who has urinary incontinence, he is being made to do wudu again and again, but the, but the urine is still there. How can he be said to be lifting the spiritual, the, the, the physical, the actual impurity itself? Yes? So I would respond to that in two ways. Number one is that's why the scholars, they have to make that distinct category of those things where there is the presence of a physical thing and the wudu lifts it and gets rid of it and the, the, the action's done i.e. urine, went to the toilet, stopped urine made wudu, end of and then in other extraordinary circumstances where we're not able to achieve the same kind of reality in the first part i.e. urinary which is continuous for example huh? or sleep where you don't know what's going on and it could have happened could not have happened, that's why they created that second category, that's my first answer to your question my second answer to your question is, and now I'm speaking, and very important, you understand I'm speaking as myself now, all right? Not as Sheikh Uthaymin. In my opinion, and we'll come to this, when a person goes to sleep, he will not make wudu when he wakes up, unless he has gone proper to sleep, okay? And there's like the world's funniest athar in human history in this. Some of the Sahaba were so cool in this issue. I remember one of the companions, and I want to so desperately say Abdullah ibn Umar, but I don't have... The, I haven't read that yani, for at least 10 years. There was Sheikh Abdullah Judah who showed us the athar and he said it's sahih. 
and I need to go back to it and find it again and it will come in the right time. But he said that, and like I said, I, don't, I can't remember the name of the Sahabi, but it's authentic. That he was there, cross-legged, he's sitting there and he nodding, nodding and he has people around him and nodding and nodding and he's gone, that's it. And now, and there's, now there's going and then there's gone. So yeah, this is going. That's going, yeah. Gone is there when you're gone. Anyway, so he wakes up. He wakes up and he turns around to the thingy and he goes, You didn't hear anything, did you? And he goes to the other one, You didn't smell anything, did you? He got a negative on this side. He got a negative on this side. Yeah, you know, we didn't hear anything. No, I didn't smell anything. He goes, Khalas, then he stood up and he prayed. Okay, meaning, meaning. So why is it that sleep is uh, a reason? Um, yani, and we're getting deep into fiqh now. All right, this is like usul, usul. It is madinat al hadath. Yani, the, the the amount of speculation, the amount, the likelihood of you doing uh, yani passing wind whilst you're asleep is huge. Anyone who's been camping with the brothers, yani, awzubillah. <laughs> yani, what a mission. Oh, oh. oh yeah. that's why it's always good to go to sleep quick, Yani. Otherwise, that's it. You will, once you delay your sleep and let the others go to sleep, it's finished. You're going to hear things that you wish you never heard in your life. <laughs> and all those great opinions you had about your friends, they're going to disappear like that. You know what I'm saying? So, when you go to sleep proper, it's all over for you. Alright. And it's all over for that person. But, as, as we can see from so many of the Sahaba, those who are sitting cross-legged, and therefore, physiologically, it's a lot more difficult to pass when some anal sphincter flex going on there. I don't know. Doctor, I'm sure you can give me some facts there. But clearly, it's a lot more difficult to pass when or whatever. I can't speak from personal experience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Because as Patans, we take that whole passing wind flex very seriously. Yeah, you guys all laugh and joke. Yeah, you do that. Because we don't laugh and joke about passing wind. We kill people on passing wind. Yeah? Some man's come to me and says, you pass wind, the guy's dead. All right. So... Um, so what I'm saying is that therefore sitting cross-legged is the safest position even if you go to sleep proper to pass wind. Now the action and the statement of the companion is a proof of, of what he realizes is the issue with sleep. For him sleep means nothing. For him the issue is whether you broke your wudu or not via passing wind, urinating, X, Y, Z, whatever. If that didn't happen then sleep for him is like any other day. It's like walking in the, in the street. Same thing. Do you understand the point there, folks? Yeah? So I just want you to understand that. And also to explain the issue of incontinence. In my opinion, in my opinion, and this is, of course, the Maliki opinion. I've written a detailed paper on this. And you can find it on, um, you can find it on my old blog or new blog or whatever it is. But anyway, you just type in something like urinary incontinence and uh, irregular vaginal bleeding. And so on. There's a detailed paper that I put together with uh, Sheikh Ihlan. And in that, I don't consider the uh, uh, making of wudu to have any actual physical ruling. In exact response to your question. And that was the same with Imam Malik. Although, of course, Abu Hanifa, Ahmed, Shafi'i, they said you must do the wudu. Because they do see it as something that has to be a, there has to be a hadith that has to be lifted in some fashion. Anyway, we've gone into too much detail. Everyone's now monged out thinking what then happened there. Right, so what should we say now? Um, it's been one hour. 
Oh, it's been more than an hour. Okay, it's been it's been a while. Okay, so folks, um, a couple of things. What we'll do now, I think we'll close it there with respect to actual text. What we'll do is that we'll take some questions. Now, online, this is now the first week now we're starting that up. So you would have seen that the online now, the from now on, it will be open and your comments will be there. And don't send any questions in during the lesson. You can write what you want and you can cuss Shazad and you can make you any good yeah, any remarks and things like that, that that I can enjoy reading afterwards, and you know, uh, 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 asking for Bobby Jelani's hand in marriage and things like that. All right, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, no problem. Um, and but no questions. Then when the lesson finishes, then you put forward your questions. And the way you do it is that you put question in capitals, and then colon, and then you have your question after it, not in capitals. Right? I don't like capitals, but I don't mind the question being in capitals. And then the team there will select some of the questions and we will take them. I think as for the live audience, then we'll just take questions from here, inshallah. Okay, so let's take some questions. Yeah. By the way, if I forget to say the question out, please remind me because I do need to repeat the question. Yeah. So, so, so the brother is asking, is it true that the companions would solidify themselves by tying their uh, waist wrapper? There's a way of doing this, either using their ghutra, either using an additional cloth or using already the, the izar and wrapping their legs round into a solid cross leg position and then they would go to sleep. And then they would wake up and they would not make wudu. And the answer is yes, that is authentically reported from a number of the companions. Which is why I mentioned it. Which is why I mentioned it. Is this the opinion of any of the four fuqaha? Of the four imams? Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi, Ahmed? Absolutely not. Okay? And this is why fiqh is so much bigger than what you think it is. And that's why if you go back to now the first lessons that I said, fiqh doesn't... Uh, trap me like it traps people and I don't feel suffocated into madahib and gotta stick to this gotta stick to that it's madahib are a means to an end and the scholars you gotta understand that Imam Malik is and Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam all of them they're very much aware of the companions that did that but they've got a they've got a cater not for some scholars who are able to work these things out individually they've got a cater for the, for the, for the millions for the masses They've got to be able to produce reproducible results that can be taught and spread that, do, that keep people in a safe zone as opposed to a difficult zone. Let me give you an example. That companion that we just said, and I will confirm his name for you, but the reason I didn't confirm his name is because I, uh, we were not in the right section. I just thought I'd mention it before it's time. But he did ask the question. He by himself doesn't know what happened in the sleep. He did ask the question. Now can a sheikh, go, can an imam teach his students that, okay, you can go to a sleep, but that has to be a sleep that has to have people around you, and you have to ask them, and each time ask them whether you pass wind or not, yeah, or whether they smell something or not, each time, yeah, that's not our way, man, that's not our culture, you know what I'm saying, that's dirty, isn't it, you don't talk about things like that, you know, I was listening to, I was listening to Carl Pilkinson earlier on today, he's my big sheikh, he is, right, <laughs> What a legend, Yara. Carl Pilkinson, he goes to China. Well, like he says a statement. I'm going to find it. It's all over Facebook tomorrow. Inshallah. He goes. He's with Warwick. You know the little dwarf scheme, yeah? yeah? So they've gone. They've gone abroad. And they've gone to China. So he's on the ship. And so he comes to the toilets. You know the toilets in China for some reason. I know I've never been. I don't know if it's true or not. But they don't even have doors. 
Number one, actually, the 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 the, the side panels is like about that high, not like you know, like not above you. It's like a proper toilet, a proper wall. It's there, meaning if you stand up, you can see the guy, <laughs> right? So it's only that high, like it's like I don't even know what to describe it as, like a hurdle height. Number one, number two, they have no doors, so it's completely open, Yanni. So Pilko, he goes up to him, he goes, he goes, what the hell is this? He goes, he goes, what is this? He goes, how can someone have a dump in this area without being seen everywhere and whatever, whatnot? And as he's giving the commentary, he goes, he goes, Warwick, he goes, Ricky, he goes, listen, he goes, I don't mind, because he's a bit, yeah, got a racist bit, kind of, yeah? He goes, I don't, I don't mind other people's cultures, I love cultures. I can handle all their crazy stuff. I, I can handle their praying. He goes, I can handle their praying. He goes, what well, people... Don't have a dump with the door open. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I thought of that statement. I thought, well, I spoke the truth there. <laughs> you know, our prayer, well, I, Annie, when you think about it, even the most, yeah, the biggest non-religious atheist dog of the earth, yeah, he will see that the prayer is natural. Bowing and prostrating and humility and regularity and early morning, and late night, all the key aspects of the salah are completely universal. There's nothing ajib. Nothing that you'd go, what's all that? If you just have a little bit of a chance, you can say, but brother, you cannot explain going out and having a dump of an open door. <laughs> you can't. You know what I'm saying? Why did I say that? What were we talking about? <laughs> oh, talking about passing wind, and this and that. So, you know, this, this, Allah khair, Allah khair. Astaghfirullah, you see, you made me start talking about dirty things and the feeling's about to fall down. Ashik. Yes. That's, that is a sunnah, the two raka'ah of wudu, the action of Bilal, and we're going to come to that in this right time. Probably about two years, I think. <laughs> it's in the chapter of supererogatory prayers, voluntary prayers. We'll get there, inshallah. <laughs> Okay, online? One question from yep. online. Yep. Uh, is it acceptable to use alcohol, gels, etc. as a method of cleaning one's hand? And Next also, week. Yep. Okay, add, added to that is, uh, is alcohol itself considered uh, pure or impure, uh, even if it's not consumed, for example, if it touches clothing? Again, next week. Two questions which are going to be covered next week. Uh, just a question. Um, you began talking about teaching styles. What was the teaching style of the other two mothers and mothers? Well, I, to be honest, I don't think that... Um, uh, 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 the re- I don't think it was anything extraordinary so it was it would probably be normal whatever normal is but it wasn't so relaxed as Abu Hanifa Abu Hanifa is crazy relaxed they're arguing debating arguing arguing they look at each other like equals you know if you saw me debating with people people would start to get a bit uncomfortable right they say who the heck is this guy discussing with him like that speaking you know what I'm trying to say that's how the, imagine now doing that with Abu Hanifa people would freak out right so therefore, that's why it's noted in history because it looked freaked out. And that's why they got the names as Ashab. And Malik, that's very well known. Malik used to get very upset. You know, people writing things down, he even used to get upset. And they, this is from many of the Salaf. They used to get upset that when people write down, they would say, Yani, you have not earned this. How dare you get, like, you know, write and go away with this. This is like what you've written down in the pages, like my years and years and years of thought and reflection and work. You didn't earn this. You didn't learn it. You didn't, you know, go through the... Pro- no. They were super strict. Had this sanctity for, for knowledge, Yani. So that's a bit kind of hardcore, and that's why it's remembered. I think, Yani, Ahmed Shafi was just chilling, Yani. Somewhere, somewhere in, the, in the middle. 
Was there a link between that approach to teaching and the range of opinions that you might have in a particular mother? Because, for example, when you're mother Nika, there might be more questioning. Yeah, and I, I think it's a very good point. I think it's very, very true. Definitely in the, in the Hanafi madhab, very hypothetical, crazy ideas being discussed, whatever. Once you start opening things up, like the worst nightmare for a teacher is what? If you don't know your stuff, I mean. People start asking too much, Yannick. You know what I'm saying? Right? So if you start talking about this, and I haven't read it, I haven't revised it, I'm going to look an idiot, yeah? The guy doesn't know anything. So, if you're at the top level, top game, and you're saying, yalla boys, say what you want, throw it at me, this debate, you know that guy's on another level. You see what I'm trying to say? And that's going to inspire them, they're going to keep asking more, I'm going to answer correctly each time, that's going to inspire more. And that's what the Hanafi Madhab is, this next level of crazy opinions and hypothetical issues, it's incredible, that Madhab is incredible. Whereas the Medinan one, a lot more knowledgeable people around, even Abu Hanifa, if this, if this riwayah is sahih, and I have some doubt about it, but in some of the books of tarikh in history, when Abu Hanifa went to go and see uh, Imam Malik, all right, and this, this dialogue has been recorded, I've got some doubts about its authenticity, but Imam Malik said to him, listen man, I'm very respectful of your, you know, your maqam, but you guys are going way out there, yani, you know, talking about this, discussing that, whatever. Abu Hanifa told him straight, he goes, we don't have that kind of luxury that you have of all people upon sunnah, all this kind of solidification of the deen, riwayat, whatever. we got Shia, we got Qadariya, Rafida, Flan, this, that, killing, that, whatever, Bukwas, this, that. You know, they come and kill the prophet's grandson, they kill this, kill. We can't trust no one, do anything, we've got to do with our own thing. People bring us Quran, we don't know, people bring us hadith, they're making up every day. You know what I'm trying to say? We have to start thinking upon our, and that's why it was called Ashab al-Ra'i. We have to really, really focus on this mind, yani, and, and use. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, just double checking. You were mentioning before that when you wash your hands, it's an obligation. Does that mean you don't do it? It's simple. So, so what I will say is that uh, according to what Sheikh Uthaymin, his position, it is, uh, it is an obligation. I don't want to give my opinion. I, I will explain my opinion upon this in the chapter of Wudu. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is that this is a semantic point. Because a person is going to have to make wudu to pray. Sah? And it is an obligation from wudu to wash your hands. And so it gets covered anyway. But that's not good enough for the student of knowledge. It's good enough for the public for me to say that. But for us, we're going to have to break that down properly. We have to give it its haq. Yeah? yeah? Right. Yeah. You mentioned that Kamuni uh, breaks the... Uh, what's the reason uh, we're going to come to that okay. yep and it's of course it's a minority opinion in fact even the Hanabila have almost pushed it out of their own madhab and they're the only madhab of course yep in the example you gave of the Sahaba you said he asked his companions about breaking wind after he woke up now if he woke up he must def- by definition of being asleep in the first place absolutely so does that mean Islamically there are different definitions of what constitutes sleep oh of course so, yeah, so, so what, uh, what uh, Dr. Shazad is asking, he's saying that um, uh, clearly when this guy was asleep and then he's asked him after he's woken up, that means he was proper asleep, then, you know, does that mean there's different types of sleep? Yes, there are. We're going to discuss that in detail. The different types of sleep, what denotes proper sleep, what's light sleep, yani, why do some scholars accept a basic form of sleep? Why do some of the scholars say that any sleep that involves a, a surface is proper sleep, even if it's for a couple of seconds. The same ruling is applied to this as going into like, you know, a temp, temp, 
tempura chance? What is it? The what's the the, the ten thousand pound mattress that you have at home? <laughs> okay, the one that we wish that we had. What's it called? Tempura. Tempest. Temper. Temper mattress. If you jump into your temper mattress, the same hukam is upon that as me going to sleep for five minutes on the wall. Is that fair? Huh? So we have to look at what the ilam, yani we, we've got to criticize these opinions and understand what is the issue of sleep. Is nodding sleep yani in khutbah? I'm telling you now. You can see why I follow. You can, you know, there's a question. You know why I follow that opinion of Sahabi because I, don't, I can't remember the last time I went to Juma and didn't go sleep. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say that publicly, Yani, because that's not good. I but I just do. That's not a, that's not a reflection upon the khatib. لا حاشا لله no at, at all, at all. No, no, no. It's just Yani, room people warm. Yani, just I go. I'm gone. But I'm always Yani. I'm always checking with my boys around me. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm checking. What are you on about? Yeah, have to, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Certain things that suit yourself as a you mean from a fiqhi point of view? Mm-hmm. You mean like rulings, you mean? Yeah. yeah. So the brother's asking a question, which in fairness we answered in the first two lessons. Um, and you can, uh, you can find the transcripts on the forums, which the brothers will explain to you how to achieve. The brother's asking, is it permissible for us just to choose what we like with respect to opinions? And the answer, of course, is no, it's not. And that, that's the reason we have teachers. And it's obligation upon the people who don't know to ask their teacher. Now, that teacher will most of the time go back to one of the four imams, practically speaking, historically speaking. But the obligation, the actual obligation upon any lay Muslim is to ask a person of knowledge who understands the issue and can teach them. I'm talking even amongst the four imams. It's not permissible for the one who is not qualified to, to be jumping from here to there by himself. He has to use a teacher, and if the teacher does that for him, then he takes the responsibility, you're free of that. Yeah? Because of course the danger is very clear. You're going to start to choose that which is suiting you and therefore you're imposing your desires upon Islam as, opposing, as, as opposed to allowing Islam to control your desires. Yeah? Yes. Uh, what is the opinion? Anyone who needs to go... Once we've gone after 15 minutes of questions, this is just so that you understand the rules, okay? Once after 15 minutes, you have the permission to leave, okay? Because that's not fair from anyone, all right? After questions, if I hang around... I'm hanging around because you all know why I'm hanging around. All right? You know why I'm hanging around, sah? Because? Because? Exactly. Match of the day is at 5 past 11 tonight, yeah? I've got donkey hours, Yanni left. Mr. Yeah, Johnny English, yeah, all right. Five past, 5 past 11, sah? Yeah? So I can go and we can, we can do questions till the cows come on. And um, so we'll, we'll carry on with that. And the sisters, of course, would leave first and then the brothers. Let's not forget that. What was that the question? Yeah, yes. Seen, uh, what is the opinion of somebody with slap in, um, during a salat prayer? So you know what we're going to do? We're going to try and avoid dealing with questions that are not part of the, the class text. Because if we open it to every question, then it's going to go all... So it's going to, yeah, it's going to be a disaster. But anyway, anyone who laughs, he breaks the prayer. Okay? For all form of that. Anyone who laughs in the prayer, and laughing is two things. It's the display of the teeth and it's a sound. Okay? It's this, these are the two conditions or the two key characteristics according to the majority. Alright? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is it true like, like the mother changing the babies? Nothing until like that they have to do we're going we're gonna to come to that. Are we done online? Any more questions? There's one interesting question came up. 
from her sister. Yes. Um, she's relatively new to Islam, but that makes a difference anyway. But um, she lives amongst a family, a practicing kind of family, different opinions and so on. <coughs> and she's asking, does she have to you know, adopt the opinion of her husband or something like that? Or do they select a mutual teacher? So, so with respect to how they follow fiqh and so on and yeah, so yeah. forth. No, the, the, the sister is asking that does she have to follow the, the teacher of her husband or does she, is she obliged to follow the fiqh of the family? And the answer is no. Right? Technically speaking, no. She's not obliged to follow anyone at any time. But the technical answer is not always the best answer. Practically, of course, it makes sense, especially if you're new and you're going to go out and try to hunt around for opinions and find a teacher, you might not be able to. Right? So if you have access through your husband to teachers and a madhab, then it just makes sense to go. But are you obligated? No. If you find an avenue where you're getting quality uh, knowledge regularly and so on and so forth, then that's allowed. That's absolutely allowed for you to do that. Just practically speaking, it's not easy. That's all. I knew I shouldn't have mentioned that. Yes. Yes. Does it break your wudu or not? Is set aside thing. <coughs> all four imams, because of what you just said. Obligate making wudu after waking up. So then, the second question. That's why they said it. Okay. So say, say for example, in a situation where somebody may have to bow. Yes. And especially if you're saying a long salah like the prayer or something yes. like that, and you know the the, the, the brothers being twenty times to do wudu. Yes. But each time does that happen? Does you with have to irritable bowel syndrome. With, with uh, yes, say a medical condition like irritable. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah, all four imams only obligate one. Uh, no, sorry. The three imams, Ma, uh, 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 Abu Hanifa, Ahmed, and Shafi'i. They say that you make the wudu for each prayer time, not the prayers. Yes. Read the paper, brother. Read the paper. We're not in that section and it's a very detailed thing. I've written in on it. Malik says you don't need to make the wudu at all. It doesn't matter what's going on. Whether he's passing wind or passing water or, or incontinent. It's, it's okay. Uh, anyone else? Uh, Uthman? Okay, so just want to remind uh, everyone here, obviously, this is our local. Uh, uh, you know this class is supported by First Ethical. MashaAllah, um, and by Maghrib, and Maghrib classed in the, not this weekend, but the weekend after, uh, sorry, no, the weekend after that, I beg your pardon, is going to be Tafsir Surat Al Kaf, and I highly, highly recommend it, Shaykh Ahsan Hanif. And this class, I think, I could be wrong, but I think he has the highest feedback uh, amongst all the classes. I could be, I could be uh, uh, wrong about that, but, uh, but I'm pretty confident that it has the highest feedback in terms of quality and content and of course Sheikh Ahsan is half the Quran is well known so that's at Mary Seacole and uh, Echoes of a Cave is called so sign up at almaghrib.org um, yeah or on their Facebook we're good there folks yeah Jazakumullah khair thank you for attending see you guys next week inshallah same place same time